Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello, everyone. We're back. It is episode 174 of the Third Sub Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alexander Gongi-Bruzic, joined as always by Samuel Rowan. And we're back, as are the Vancouver Whitecaps, as the CPL continues to roll, as the League One BC season is completed. Um, very busy stretch of domestic soccer. Not so much for an MLS fan, which... Uh, Probably isn't the greatest news for local markets, although I guess if you've been enjoying the Lionel Messi and Friends show, it's been a great time to watch an MLS-adjacent uh, product in League's Cup. Of course, the Whitecaps League's Cup journey ended abruptly against Tigres. Penalty shootouts haunt the Whitecaps once again after a great performance. Safe to say, between all of that, lots to dive into. But before we do, Sam, I mean... How are you doing now? It's been it's been a nice break, I'd say, from a it's like a selfish perspective. Like again, a break in the summer from with all the footy going on elsewhere, World Cup, etc. It's been nice to focus elsewhere. But I mean, from an MLS perspective, probably not the greatest. I'm like, oh yeah, this this MLS thing still exists, and uh, may as well pay some attention to it. Absolutely. I mean, um, just thinking about it, with the addition of Sam Atakubi and Richie Larea, there was so much hype and positivity there for it felt like a week of just white caps further on the on the inter on the internet on twitter on on x you know whatever you want to call it uh, everyone was talking about the white caps and then there's no matches to be played so uh, a weird void as you said selfishly you know running the third sub and doing all that stuff it's it's a lot of work when it's sunday wednesday sunday or you know triple match weeks and stuff like that all the time so a little bit of a break is nice but at the same time i'm ready to get back to some vancouver whitecaps footy uh and this is going to be a weird one we were talking about it before the show up against san jose this weekend on sunday and then no more home matches at bc place after this until october which from a marketing perspective with those two new marquee players Probably not ideal, uh, but nonetheless, we're going to dive into all the talking points, kind of looking forward at these last 12 matches of the season. We've got some over-unders we're going to dive into for those last 12 matches. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Whitecaps' League's Cup experience, how those new faces might integrate, uh, players we're, we're really watching out for down the stretch run, all that good stuff. We'll talk a little League One BC, CPL near the end of the show as well, and uh, touch preview on the San Jose Earthquakes, what they're going to look to provide. So as always, Alex, very much looking forward to getting into it. Absolutely. And yeah, again, such a strange time and going to be interesting to see what MLS learns from this season because it's felt like a season of experiments and certainly some of the experiments have been interesting right i guess the, the apple tv experiment uh etc but again between the start times between this league's cup break there also been a few moments where you're like "Ooh, this might not 
again, especially from the local perspective, I think it's fascinating because you look at MLS from an international perspective, I see so many more Europeans, others talking about it. And I mean, that's also down to one one man and that's Lionel Messi. But still, that's again, that's a huge moment for the league. But then from an, an interest standpoint, I mean, I saw a fan from Montreal on Twitter and he was like, this sucks. Like usually every season, he's a diehard season ticket holder. Said he was spending thousands of dollars on the club every year, just, you know, by tickets and et cetera. And he said this summer with the new times and the break and everything, he spent $300 total. And they're like, just little things like that. You're like, okay, that's probably not good from a, a local perspective to have, you know, diehard. That's, that's not, you know, some average, average person who's tucking into the team every once every couple months that's not someone who's going to be making up your 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 die the, the the diehard category of fans but yeah you can't help but feel the same about Vancouver right now because usually like the summer it's been a staple it's always a staple of of the summer to have white cap soccer around and you look and I mean it's been more of a summer of beach and you know and summer of artists coming to town even the lions have kind of got you know captured momentum certainly from a soccer perspective it's kind of been more the local sides of footy which again are great but also not they're not out there as much in the mainstream as they should be yet and that's obviously going to be a work in progress and you're like okay well that's certainly a missed opportunity um to to help all that but yeah no it's uh it's just such a it's, it's been such a strange summer and uh i can't say it's been one from again from a local perspective i don't know how good this will be and i'll be interested to see now this earthquakes game like a sunday night yeah it's the debuts of the new players but it's like could it just kind of be forgotten because like yeah you, you wouldn't be you wouldn't blame people for being like oh yeah they still play like the season's going on like for them might feel like it's over and i wonder if a sunday night game that might lead to uh some some less than stellar uh attendance it's, it's an interesting point because it really could go one of two ways. Like this is very much a match in a vacuum where no one's had the chance to see Richie and Sam yet. You're not going to get to see them again for a while. So could have a bunch of people congregating. This is their one chance before the summer is over to, to see this new look Whitecaps team. But at the same time, without consistent presence in the market, does it slip through the cracks? Um, I hope the Vancouver Whitecaps marketing team is doing everything they can to drum up some interest, uh, keep the word out that uh, that this is one not to be missed. And I mean, in terms of the standings, this is very interesting. It's sixth and seventh in the West, only one match between them in terms of matches played. Um, San Jose is one of those teams right above the Whitecaps that they have to feel like they can overtake pretty easily coming down the stretch here, they probably feel like they're a better team than San Jose. So, okay, you host them at home. You dropped your match against them on the road earlier this season. This is one to take care of business, rekindle some of that positive momentum that they had in MLS play prior to the break, and, and then just run into that uh, road trip, which we're going to talk about a little bit, uh, quite an imposing road trip. But uh, I'm very curious. I mean, attendance has been up and down all season you do wonder at this point with all the positivity surrounding the team like man if this was a four or five match homestand between now and october what would those attendance numbers look like what would the buzz around the team be um yeah i mean hindsight's 2020 but you, 
you got to feel like you're kicking yourself a little bit if you're the club. It's like, man, we just love a homestand right now. We've got the, the polar opposite happening. So it's interesting. I, I wonder what interest will be like in all those road matches too. Like a lot of them are going to be behind the Apple TV paywall. How many people are tuning in? What What is the discussion like online? Because we've seen mixed reaction this season. Some matches I've, I've been, you know, running the Twitter or whatever, and everyone's engaged. It's tons of fun. And then there've been other matches that feel like they just exist in a void. And it's like, Hey, is, is anyone even watching this? So uh, especially, you know, when they're, when they're playing Chicago or something like that at, at five 30 Pacific time, I wonder what the, the reaction, the response will be. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. I think no matter what my, my overwhelming thought is the rest of the season is going to be very fun and very interesting because they've got some new players. This is a good white caps team. The question is, what can they do with it, both on the pitch and off the pitch? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's such a, a multitude of factors to look at. And yeah, especially it's such a strange end to the season. I'm curious now, I think with the new signings, with the level of this team, I can only imagine what, what a home playoff game would look like, right? They can only imagine that's great, but the road there going to be a complicated one, but certainly for the debut of Atacubi and Larea, you can only wonder what a Saturday four o'clock kickoff could look like versus a Sunday, seven 30 PM kick. But last MLS uh, has, has obviously chosen its route with its kickoff times. And that's a whole other story. Cause again, like again, so many debates, uh, Europeans all of a sudden want to watch the league. Uh, all the, well, you can only imagine what a Lionel Messi kickoff at one thirty could be like. No, all of his games are going to be at seven thirty local time wherever they are. But enough about Messi. We got to talk about the Whitecaps new signings, and of course we've dove into what we could see Atacubi and Larea playing. Of course, last time we spoke, it wasn't technically official yet, although you kind of. You know, I think the Larea one was, and then the Atacubi one was about to be. So the rumors were, were out there, but I mean, they're official. I mean, we've seen the, the club has done a pretty pretty heavy job of promoting them. And I, I think that's good. That's what you want. You sign two Canadians, one who came through your academy, you want to promote them. And it's been good to see. But uh, now, obviously, they've had a couple of weeks to work with this, you know, the squad. They've been training, they've been getting up to fitness. Imagine Larea, based on what we know, will be pretty close to a to a hundred percent just based on the fact that he's been in season um and you know only really took a few weeks break because he went straight from the gold cup to you know all this had might be a bit of a different story just between the whenever the, the galatasaray season ended back in, in april may and then you know only really played at nations league for canada and since then hasn't done much so maybe he's not fully uh, as fit but we know that they're here we know that they're likely going to feature in some form if you want to i'd say larea is the guaranteed starter at it could be could either see starting and goal 45 60 maybe he comes off the bench for 45 30 um but either way they're here and i mean sam i guess just to start how do you you know now that it's been a few weeks how do you kind of feel they're going to integrate perhaps even when comparing what we uh, originally thought yeah that's a good question i i don't think the the thought is all that different. I mean, you know, Richie's going to be a kind of wide right-hand side box to box guy um, that's going to fill that, you know, whether it is in a midfield four, it's, you know, 
in a midfield five, however, however they label it, however they line up, right? Three, five, two, four, three, two, one, what, whatever. Um, he's going to play wide, right? And as you said, I think given the fact that he's in season form, that's just like plug and play and you don't really think about it. Adekubi is the interesting one because he's got a little bit more, I mean, not that, not that Richie Lorray isn't tactically versatile, but just in terms of like, position proper with Atakubi, it, it could be a little more interesting. Could be a a proper fullback, could be a wide center back and a back three. It just kind of depends on the way Vanny sees it. And we know that Vanny Sartini often has a unique take on what what a player does best. Luis Martins as a center back. Ali Ahmed is a number eight. Julian Gressel is a number eight. You know, Seb Berhalter is a wing back recently. Like it's, and, and you know, credit to like a Seb Berhalter who's actually balled out at that position and been really, really good. So uh, sometimes the mad scientist Vanny makes some some questionable decisions, like kind of torpedoing Christian Dahomey's career in Vancouver. But a lot of the time, it has worked out really well. Um, and and so I don't know. I I said it on the last podcast. I still get the sense that. They want to play three at the back when they when they can. And I feel like Sam just fits really well on the left-hand side of that back three. Uh, and especially like early on, if he's getting up to fitness a little bit, he doesn't have to do quite as much offensive work, as much running. He can just kind of stay within himself in that back three, make some nice passes, jump in, get involved a little bit. Like, like Luis Martins was doing before, you know, just making those subtle little offensive contributions, but not stretching himself too much. I think that's where I see it. So I haven't really changed too much at the moment, but I mean, this is Vanny Sartini. We're talking about, there's going to be tweaks. There's going to be in match adjustments. Uh, what the, what the lineup card says is not going to be exactly how the team looks on the pitch. So uh, it is a bit of a wait and see. I think in particular, because of, because of Adekubi's role and because of Ali Ahmed coming back into the fold, Pedro Vite has been playing better, better. I'm very interested about this left side of the midfield in general. I think that that's going to be a position of flux, right? Because we've we've seen so many different people in that role and Adekubi is going to change the way they build in possession from that side of the field. So uh, as, as much as his role is important, I also think it it's important how it affects everyone around him, how they can get the most out of Ali Ahmed, Pedro Vite. If it's Levante Johnson coming in off the bench, if it's, you know, whoever it happens to be featuring, uh, it's all got to connect and work together, right? So I think that's that's just as important and just as interesting for me. Yeah, I think really the big question is going to be, is it a back four? Is it a back three? I think that's the big thing. Like, is it going to be a proper back three where Atacubi is kind of going to be tasked to, you know, kind of deploy there? Or is it going to be a four where he can, like he kind of sometimes forms a three, sometimes goes forward. I think that's going to be the big difference. But uh, yeah, there's like, there's a few questions you could have at each position. Perhaps Pedro Vite's emergence has a bit more of an eight kind of changes the equation. I say, if you play a back three, I think what you could see is, you know, you put Blackman, Ranko, Adekubi as your three, Lorraine on the right. Then you kind of do a double pivot of Kubas and Vite, which you might not have been able to do weeks or months ago until kind of Vite's recent emergence uh, in that position. 
Then you can put Ahmed on the left, but he can also tuck in and support Vite Kubas. Uh, and then you, you then you could have a front three of whatever you choose, right? It would be gold and white for sure. And either you can go Cordova, you can slip in a shop and put, you know, back in the eight and move Vite up the field. You can you kind of have flexibility there with that third play. You can play Cordova, which isn't a bad option given his form. Honestly, I'd almost lean that way, although Shop's performance against Tigris did provide some food for thought in terms of um, what he could pro- play in those sorts of roles. And then if not in a back four, uh, what you could, you'd probably just see something similar, right? It would just be that four, uh, Larea, Blackman, Veselinovic, Adekugbi, put Ahmed, uh, Vite, Kubas, and then uh, Gold, White, and then either Cordova or Shop. Either, you know, you move Vite up to the 10 and you play Shop for you, you move Vite down, you play Cordova. And I think, yeah, there's uh, what's nice too, if you get used to those two formations, you could also kind of just tweak it based on what you need. Um, if you need a bit more up front, you can run the Cordova White. If you need a bit more in midfield, you can get Shop in there. Um, if, if you want a bit more of that width, you play the four, so you can tell Adekubi and the Ray to just really control the flanks and have Kubas drop in. If you want a bit more intricate build-up play, you play that three, so you can have Adekubi tucking back into that three. Like, it's a, like the role we see a lot of fullbacks do, to be fair. It's been something I'm noticing a lot, say, just in the CPL. And I've been watching closely this year, but even across Europe, you're seeing a lot more fullbacks play that back three role and I think Atakubi can can fill that. So yeah, there's just there's a lot of flexibility. And I think that's a good thing. I think if the White Caps can weaponize that flexibility and know when to kind of switch between those formations, they can get a nice little uh setup there between those names and then just rotate in as you see fit. Throw in Matias Laborde at center back, but based on the situation, uh if Larea could be tired, you still have Martins and Brown, uh, which you know perhaps maybe those they'll they'll, they'll really thrive in those sorts of backup roles. Who knows? We'll see a Raposo as well. Certainly put in a performance against Tigres to throw himself in that discussion. Um, so, so yeah, I'd say that's probably how I kind of kind of see it. And really, really, I think now the starting lineup's kind of clear. It's the question is what what kind of happens to those in those supporting pieces, and that's kind of the biggest thing when you make moves like this. What 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 will the kind of secondary pieces around them look like? Just to add on to the tactical discussion, the, the more I think about it the more it feels to me like it almost, it doesn't quite matter how precisely they set up match in match out. What I think is really, really valuable, what Richie and Sam have done. And I mean, I say this before they've actually played a match. So the, the proof will be in the pudding, but you look at players like Matias Laborda, Luis Martins, Ryan Raposo, you know, Seb Halter, even to some degree. I, I mean, these are, like certainly Burhalter and Raposo are players I really, really like uh, and I think have done well this season, but there've been moments where it's like, Oh, you just, you can't, you put Ryan Raposo in a really difficult spot against LAFC and it doesn't work out. Like he's kind of hung out the dry. Luis Martins at times has been put in a position where it just doesn't look like he's going to be successful. I think with Richie and Sam, you can put them, you can put Sam in a back three as a fullback and a back four, you can do all that. And like, you're not concerned about his ability to play at either of those positions. So you don't have to, you know, massage and concoct things the perfect way to like, make sure the player can handle it. Richie and Sam can plug into a variety of roles and I think thrive in them. And it just, it allows them that flexibility to 
change things up in match if they want to change things up from match to match and like not be worried about it creating an area where they're wildly exposed right and i think before that was a problem where sometimes you just put players in a position where man unless they had the match of their life it was going to be tough and i and i don't feel like they're going to have to do that as much anymore especially on the road where i feel like that's been been quite a problem yeah i think it's nice that they just give themselves more flexibility at the back because i think they obviously had a lot of flexibility up front you can still throw Levante Johnson in this mix. I'm in Betcher. Like they have so many profiles up front that based on what they need, they can slot in. And even in midfield now, between Vite, Shop, Ahmed as your eights, those are all three very different profiles. And those are just, you know, options you can kind of plug in. And now is really just that fullback where they're kind of just the week in, week out. You're kind of again, you, say Martins and Brown, you kind of knew what their strengths and what their limitations were. And you're kind of like you know, they need support now. You add in Lorraine out of Kugby, it completely changes it because there could also be matchups where Brown and Martins have a lot of value, whereas before it was just kind of like, all right, well, they're getting thrown out week after week, and that's kind of what you got. And, you know, I think that's a huge aspect too, just that added flexibility gives them at the back. Um, Because, yeah, how many times you see someone like Laborda get thrust out there, looked uncomfortable, or you're just kind of plugging into out of desperation, right? You see Burhalter and Johnson, Levante Johnson getting th- thrust in at wing back recently. And like, I feel like that, just having that added flexibility at fullback is also um, ginormous. And yeah, I think that's uh, that's definitely something to consider because uh, it felt, it's felt like the Whitecaps have had flexibility in their attack. And that's why they've been such a good attacking team in terms of chance generation. They do a good job of getting in the right spots, but then defensively they've been very hit or miss. And I think perhaps part of that has just been that, They've kind of been not not handcuffed in a sense, but in a lot of games, they just kind of have one setup and they've rolled it out. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Whereas now it feels like they have a bit more, there's some options. Heck, even, you know, Karifa Yao gave a decent taste against LA Galaxy. That's another center back you can throw in the mix, different profile like we've mentioned. You've now got a bunch of fullbacks. All of a sudden the Whitecaps are, are getting some depth at the back that they didn't have earlier in the season. And that kind of hurt them defensively and has hurt them uh, in terms of their ability to get results. And, and worth just echoing again as we head into the stretch run that Vancouver's been elite offensively this season. They've just been probably a little bit too much on like the mediocre side defensively instead of average. And if they could just bring, even if the offense for some reason were to have a bit of a regression, if they can bring that defensive play up to MLS standard average, this is a really good team. And and I think there's a lot of reason to think that offensively, they're not going to take a massive step backwards the rest of the season. So I think reasons for positivity, Alex, we were talking about, you know, putting players in difficult spots or just kind of having to roll out whoever you had to the Whitecaps credit. They had to do that in a sense against both Tigres and Leon teams that five years ago, they would have been quaking in their boots at the prospect of facing. But uh, we were chatting about before the show. I think my takeaway from league's cup was just the way Vancouver went toe to toe with really quality Liga MX sides and didn't flinch and at times really took things to both of those opponents, got them on the back foot, were creating some chances. Uh, I think just really encouraging about like the overall development of this team. And 
we've talked about this before too. It is nice to see a culture, a sort of attitude within this roster of players showing up for big occasions and big matches. Like the Whitecaps tend to bring their best stuff in big games against good teams. So I think, you know, credit to those guys, even it, it wasn't a best 11 really either match against Tigers and Leah, and yet they, they really went toe-to-toe. There was nothing between the teams and, you know, okay, you lose out on penalties. It's it's nice it's in a competition that doesn't really matter all that much to the Whitecaps. But I think fantastic experience, especially for players like Berhalter, Raposo, younger guys who might not get as much run the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think that's the, the value of... Uh that we saw the league's cup uh, is that ability to play different opponents. I think that was the nice bonus. I think it is again, something where you looked at the three games they played, you're kind of like galaxy and eh, like cool that they built their confidence with the road win. They didn't really play that, you know, overall that great. They got a result. Cool. But it was like, okay, they got a chance to play Tigress. That's a giant of CONCACAF. You got to play Leon. That's the defending champions league winners because that's what they won it's the champions cup hasn't started yet um and i think it adds to the point of what the strengths of this team were i think that's what they showed i think that's key it's this is a team that can play on the front foot that can play their way they want to dictate they want the challenge they want to rise they also showed that sometimes defensively there's still some you know frail moments and that's perhaps where some of the new signings were were missed and we'll, we'll we'll improve that and, but overall, I think it's kind of been what we saw saw from them this year. It's they can control games, especially at home. Uh, really, the the big things that have hurt them is just overall defensively and just on the road. Their ability to again that adds to our earlier point about versatility. Their inability to adjust on the road has also kind of been uh, hurting them because uh, you know at, at home you always play your way. It's your home. You you dare you play your way, and teams have to adjust to the field. They have to adjust to you. When on the road, again, you're kind of usually the team that has to adjust because, especially in MLS where there's so much home field advantage, teams are going to play your way, and that's kind of funny. You think about it. The Whitecaps kind of that big road win they had against LAFC. What happened? They adjusted. It was completely new. It was completely different, but they won. That's kind of how you have to go at it. You have to. You know, not saying you completely throw your own game plan out the window, but you have to be conscious of what the opponent will throw at you. And it was because it was LAFC, they're almost so scared that they did a bunch of stuff and it worked. And I think there's almost been an overconfidence at times being like, all right, like we're going to go away and try to play our way, which is, you know, it's admirable, but also it clearly hasn't worked. And it's like at this point, unless you're, you know, Messi in Miami going into the Philadelphia Union and pulling out a victory like that. Like that's that's a whole different snare. The Whitecaps haven't commanded that sort of uh, you know, say respect yet. I'd say that's fair to say, right? Like that's the teams like a Miami with the Messi or an LAFC who's won a bunch. Those are the kind of teams that can go in other buildings and do that. But for the Whitecaps, they have to continue to adjust. And so that's something where I'm like, okay, Tigress and Leon showed that when they're at home, when they're in control of everything. No matter who they're playing, considering they're missing a few starters, like Atacubi Larea would have helped, this Whitecaps team can do damage. It's a matter of, okay, what can they clean up defensively? What can they clean up in terms of uh, their road performances to to fix all that? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going we're gonna to do some over-unders talking about the last 12 matches of the MLS season for the Whitecaps, but there is one new player who's 
potentially going to be a member of the Whitecaps organization that we should talk about. It's a player that was rumored to come to the club a while ago. Needless to say, a lot has happened for both the club and the player, the person since then. It's Jean-Pierre from Brazil. This was a guy that the Whitecaps were targeting as a potential number 10 acquisition before the team had Ryan Galt. So that's just kind of contextualizes it for you. Uh, really came up at Gremio and had a couple of really nice seasons. I think was, a, you know, not the transfer mark value is everything, but was, you know, a, a $10 million man at one point, really highly coveted. Uh, since then, he's he's had a bit of a tough road. He was he was on his way to Turkey on transfer. And I, I believe during the medical, they uncovered that he had testicular cancer. And so that, that was in early 2022. And it's just sort of been the, the road to dealing with that and getting back to, is he going to play football again since then? And uh, obviously the, the interest that the Whitecaps had a couple of years ago resonated with Jean-Pierre. And now it sounds like he's going to be joining the MLS next pro team on a trial. Alex, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, we we're chatting about it pre-show. You know, there's only six matches left in the next pro season, but if the Whitecaps can find something here and maybe, you know, even, even if he can provide some of that potential that he showed as a youngster in Brazil, uh, it, it could be a really nice way to use the next pro team to, to give a guy a chance that maybe just needs, needs a fresh start to revitalize his pro career. I think this is the sort of punts you want to be taking with the second team and the Whitecaps have done a good job of that. I mean, we haven't talked about it since, but I mean, we saw the four signings they made as well. Not that long ago, uh, you know, uh, Canadian Marcus Simmons among them. And then a couple of uh, three internationals that they brought in were you know, intriguing. Uh, I'll shout it out for those. Go check out. Caleb Wilkins's article on the third sub. He does a great job breaking down all four players. You've got some, some video clips in there as well. So, uh, you know, these guys from different leagues, uh, not a lot of information, not a lot of content. It's impossible to say for sure how good these players are going to be. But um, I think the right kind of like Jean-Pierre, the right kind of punts to be taking. Like these aren't, England, Germany, Academy retreads. These are players that maybe if they get into a, a professional environment with some, some different coaching, they could, they could take a massive step forward. So I think it's, it's just nice to see that these are the kind of players that, you know, no offense to like a Giovanni Aguilar, but like a little less Giovanni Aguilar and a little more 19, 20 year olds from unheralded leagues that might be able to take a big step forward. Yeah, and uh, it's a fascinating, I mean, discussion. And first of all, foremost, for those unfamiliar, the four signed, first of all, was Malcolm Simmons. I'm not sure if I said Malcolm or may have slipped up and said Marcus. But either way, it's Malcolm Simmons. He was in the Benfica Academy. He's Canadian, so it's domestic depth. Uh, he's an 03 born, so he turned 20 this year. And again, uh, someone who's in that Benfica system who's Canadian, good punt there. Uh, otherwise, there's Cipriani Cachuele, a Tanzanian striker. He is 18. He was an 05 born. Um, that's an intriguing profile. Again, it feels as we've seen the African market is very 
it's just untapped and you can see it when MLS teams and other leagues find the gems like they are there. Uh, there's so many examples of just going to those leagues. And I think Tanzania is an interesting one because they've grown a lot like their their domestic teams been doing very well continentally kind of because it's always been it's always North the North African teams dominate like it's Egypt, it's Algeria, it's Morocco, but Tanzanian teams have done well lately. So I was going to say, didn't pick. they they popped off at like the U20 World Cup, didn't they? They went in a bit of a run, uh, or was that, um, or was that the other the other Whitecaps acquisition? It might have been the other Whitecaps acquisition. Perhaps I think it might have been because the other one, another African, there's all the other three Africans, which is interesting, yeah. all from different areas. There's Dembo Saidikan. Hopefully, I pronounced that one right. We'll we'll hear about that one, but he is from the Gambia. Uh, yeah, one. no, I'm pretty sure it was the Gambia that I, made that's the run I think. at the U20 World Cup. Okay, yeah, six foot one center back. So I mean, we talked about the Whitecaps needing center backs, intriguing profile. Uh, yeah, it's something where again, very untapped uh, market is uh, the Gambia, surrounded by a soccer powerhouse uh, in Senegal, but hasn't really had the same proficiency. Where they've grown a lot as of late. He is 19. He's an 04 born. And then lastly, it's Malik Mary, a 20-year-old, or actually going to turn 20, he's still 19, uh, a midfielder from Tunisia, which is another fascinating market, as we've seen. Yasser Kamiri didn't maybe work out as well. That was the last foray the Whitecaps made to Tunisia. But, I mean, they've also been kind of a growing power as of late. They've made the last two World Cups, and that's impressive, considering, again, some of the teams they've beat out to make those World Cups. Tunisia's kind of been a, a growing hotbed. So those were the four players that the, the white cap sign it was good too because you look there's two midfielders they desperately need midfielders in the system as we've seen there's a center back they also could use a center back and a forward look it's a he's an 18 year old uh that's a good punt to make i'd say versus uh you know again uh, some of these signings have, have been good say like again like you're gonna t- if you're gonna take a punt on like a 24 year old glory amanda go for it like he's canadian you have nothing to lose Maybe again, it's one of those where it's worked out, but in isolation, a 23 year old Simon Betcher, even though at least he's domestic, for example, in that case, he's domestic. But, you know, if you're going for a 23 year old international, it's uh, it's kind of like, okay, what's the, the play? May as well get some Canadians minutes. But these are the right kinds of profiles, 18 to 20 signed. But of course, Jean-Pierre is not of those profiles. He's 25. He's international. So what gives? Well, I think this is something where you can get a potentially a premium talent at a cost raised uh, cost rate price. I think that's uh, it's just a good market and efficiency in the sense that, look, this is a very valuable player. Like you mentioned, Sam, but rated as a 10 million player. He made a $5 million move to Turkey. He was a starlet at Gremio. Um, he over, you know, he played over 138 games with the club, scored 22 goals, gotten 16 assists. The Whitecaps would push for him, but ultimately it didn't work out. Um, they they got called for it. I think a, a, a good, way, way cheaper fee than they would have for for Pierre. So perhaps that played a role. Also, Gold probably fit the system better. As we've seen, they've done they did a good job with that acquisition. But Pierre was no doubt a mercurial talent. Got the five million dollar move he seeked to Turkey. Uh, gets the cancer diagnosis, and yeah, it's been a rough bit of two years. Oh, it's a year and a half since he he went back to Brazil. Actually, he went on loan pretty like pretty much immediately. Uh, following the diagnosis like it was January of 22 it came out he went on loan that season to another top flight Brazilian tie aside um, 
not not sure the name here. It's uh, I want to say it's As uh, Avai. That's why it's Avai. And he ended up playing 23 games for them, only 744 minutes, though, just he, he didn't really integrate. And then, yeah, he, he just hasn't played this year. And from what it sounds like, he was, you know, potentially, you know, even considering giving up the pro game, obviously the, the diagnosis uh, weighed heavy on him. So this is someone where he's kind of coming at a bit of a down moment, but he's still only 25. As someone where two years ago, this was a talent going to go to Europe for a lot of money. Who knows where he could have leapfrogged to if he had a good stint in Turkey. Maybe he could have been a 10, 20, 30 million dollar player. This is a pretty good free punt on the, for the Whitecaps and the fact that they're able to use their second team to, because again, as Axel Schuster said, they have no money on the first team right now. Uh, it's, it's sort of low risk punt that they should be taking at the second team level, which goes a, a, along with the four low risk punts they just made. So really they're using their second team to a uh, great effect. It's just really nice to see. I remember Alex probably last season talking about the way LAFC was, you know, hunting high school soccer and hunting random leagues in Africa and kind of searching under every rock, every leaf for talent. And we're kind of saying, when when are the white caps going to start doing that? And it feels like they're they're taking more of these punts at this point, right? Like they're bringing in, even they they have the camp in Spain and they're bringing in older veterans to see if they might want to have a go. Like there's just, it seems like they're exercising all possible options to improve their squad. And I think that's really good. Uh, I hope for Jean-Pierre, just on like a personal level that he's able to get back to the kind of footballer that he once was, that he's capable of being. If that's with the white caps, that's fantastic. Even if it ends up being someone else, I think this is just worth giving this player an opportunity. So uh, we'll be excited to see how it goes. I mean, uh, MLS next pro matches the rest of the season are at BC place. So uh, if he happens to feature, uh, go check it out. That would certainly be interesting. Okay, Alex, let's uh, let's dive over into there's 12 matches left in the MLS season for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Eight of those on the road, four at home. We've made a bit of a list of over-unders here uh, predicated on some of them predicated on the trends so far this season. Uh, some just asking what might happen in those remaining 12 matches. So we'll start it off with uh, the presumptive Vancouver Whitecaps MVP, especially now that Julian Gressel is gone. Ryan Gold has 13 goals plus assists. These are all stats in MLS play, by the way, so not including Voyager's Cup, League's Cup. So 13 goals and assists combined so far. She's got 12 matches left. Does he get to 20 on this MLS season? What do we think? Over. He gets over 20. I think his I form mean, he's, has just been he's too been good. He's been what? On, on an insane run. He's got something like eight or nine goals and assists over his last five matches or something like that. Like it's, hey, he's on an absolute heater at the moment. So yeah, I, I want to say that with 12 matches left, it, it feels like 10 goals and assists combined for him is kind of the benchmark. So I, I feel like he'll get the 20. I, you know, he's not, I don't think he's going to be massively over but 21, 22, 23. I think it's right in there. Just, just the shade over for me. Yeah. This white caps team is going to go as far as he goes. And again, he showed it even during this, uh, I mean, league's cup break. He had 
you know, got, went went away to LA Galaxy, got uh, you know had a pretty much forced an own goal, and he did get credited for the assist on the white goal, uh, right? I mean, it, it was pretty much his assist, and then again against Leon, he had two assists, if I'm not mistaken, right? It was just class performance against Tigres's. Uh, I mean, as well, he was just, he's, he's just been so good and it continued. I mean, I, I don't think this break, if this break will help him more than anything, cause he's kind of had, you know, the, the muscle injuries, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's something where, uh, yeah, he's kind of done a bit more of his cooking at home, so to speak, but he's also done well on the road. So I think these road games perhaps will, will be a chance for him to really step up and, and, and help the, this white caps team go to where they, they should be. And I think the, if they are going to go where they should be, the, I mean, Ryan Gold, the captain, he's going to take them as far as uh, they can go. And that's why I expect, I expect he hits the over on 20. Okay. So the next one's an interesting one. Cause I was, I was thinking of how to, I don't know if you can use one stat to measure how Richie Larea and Sam Adekubi will impact this team, but my thought was, okay, Julian Gressel had five assists so far this season. So can Richie and Sam get to five assists combined in the next 12 matches? I, I feel like that's maybe a bit of a tall ask, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. And, it, and again, I, don't, I think even if they fall short of this mark, it's not necessarily an indictment of their contributions because there's a lot of other ways uh, they could provide value. But yeah, curious for your thoughts on this one. And I, I didn't actually look up what Richie's stats are on the year so far, but I think he's been doing pretty well. So it'd be, be interesting. Um, my in, in, like immediately I was going to say no. Um, just cause I feel like at especially he's playing deeper on the field, even like he hasn't really been much of an assist guy. He's more the assist to assist. Again, that's something we're going to get used to. Like he can play the killer through ball. He can play the cross to the back post that gets flicked on. He's just genuinely not getting on the end of as many of assists. I could say maybe he gets one or two, especially playing deeper. So it's more like can Larea. And in my head, Larea is not much of an assister. Although I'll say since going to England, he has improved a lot because before he left to England, um, he had, uh, well, what was this? I guess he had around 12 assists in Toronto with his like previous three years or whatever it was. And then since returning from England, he had four and 10 games last year and four and 18 games this year. So he's improved, like he's improved a lot. And then that's on a TFC team where no one can score. Like this is something where he'll go to the white caps. He'll get a lot more key like passes. So Richie, Richie where... could in theory have four over the next 12 and Sam chips in one. And then there you go. That's five. Again, I think well, that's, that's, maybe, about... that's pretty demanding, but uh, you know, if everything goes right for this white caps team, I could, I could see them getting. Well, I think we also have to remember Larea was playing center back for a good chunk of games at TFC. And again, they can't score. Like the leading score is like three goals this year, two goals. It's Deon, it's DeAndre Kerr tied with Lorenzo and Zinye. Uh, and I think Bernadeschi, I don't quote me on that one, but still like that, the fact that he was even able to get four playing fullback slash center back on such a putrid offensive team. Yeah, I think he, just looking at Larea, I think Larea is going to be the one to kind of bet on here. Cause again, it's not a, it's more out of Kugby's role makes me think that like maybe he'll rack up a lot of MLS assists, like kind of playing the ball to ball. Maybe out of Kugby finds gold, gold finds white kind of scenarios. Uh, but I think with Larea getting up the field, he'll probably carry. And I'd say, I'd say even five assists is fair. I think anything more is a bit of a tall ass, but I'd say if we're, we're doing over under or, or, or even, I'd say even. Yeah. I'm going to go just under on that one, but uh, I think it's going to be tight. I mean, I've, 
I created these to try to make it challenging. So I, I think, you know, they go, they could all be pushes in theory. Okay. This one's interesting. We haven't talked about Aliyama yet because to me, this is like an underrated, not to pull an Axel Schuster and be, it's like a new signing for the team, but they've kind of been without Aliyama in a meaningful way for a couple months. And he was playing so well prior to Voyager's cup concussion. Then he goes to gold cup. Then he comes back with an injury and he just, Hasn't built any consistency um, in MLS play. I mean, the break probably helps because it gets him some time to get fully healthy. So I think Ali Ahmed could be a massive contributor the rest of this MLS season. There's 12 matches. Does he start more than eight of those matches the rest of the season? I think this is interesting because it speaks to the sort of flexibility the Whitecaps have. How do they fit everyone into roles? Uh, so curious for your thoughts. I'd say gut reaction is I'd say he starts more just because I think he should be a locked in starter. Really, it's just League's Cup was injuries. That's kind of why he wasn't on the bench and then only played a little and kind of has been managed across those three games, right? Because he came off the bench in two and didn't even make the squad in the third, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. So I think now with this break, the the chance to just recharge after that busy stretch of, you know, playing a lot in MLS injury, then going from the the head injury straight into Gold Cup, then he picked up the leg injury. I feel like this break will have done him well. So I'd say if operating under that idea, I'd probably say over. But just with all the depth around and the fact they might want to manage his minutes, I'd probably say just under. And I'd say that's probably what my final answer will be. I think with someone like Ahmed, especially given his age and you know, well, the fact that he's still a young piece and that some of the white caps might want to manage, not just for this year, but next year, I'd say, well, we could see some load management where he kind of shifts between starting and coming off the bench. And that's probably best because that, again, as we've seen shop, for example, had a great game against Tigress. And honestly, it'll be, it's, this is an interesting thing, but it's like, could shop potentially, could we see a split where shop sees a bit more? Uh, I mean, again, this doesn't really fit the idea with the schedule being so weird, but, Shaf's kind of played well at home, it feels like, versus, you know, Ahmed has shown that he can kind of play anywhere. Uh, could could we see some sort of splits where some guys play a bit more at home and some guys play a bit more away? Who knows? So I'd say my final answer is I'd say Ahmed is a bit on the under, and I think that's because of load management with potentially eyes on a playoff in the future in, in mind. Yeah, I thought this one was really... This is for starts. Starts, by the way, not for correct. appearances. I say no, appearances, it's over eight for sure. It's probably 10 at least, I think, for appearances. Um, I mean, that's obviously appearances more like injury dependent, basically, which we can't try to predict. The reason why I thought this question was interesting is initially I was like, oh, yeah, like, Ahmed, if healthy, has to start more than eight times. And then I'm like, well, that means that either Cordova, Vite, or Shop's minutes are like massively reduced. And then it's like, oh, okay, when you think about it that way, as much as I want Ahmed to play as much as possible, I'm kind of with you, where I think it's there's going to be some rotation there. Vite's not going to start every match. Shop's not going to start every match. Ahmed's not going to start every match. I think they're going to they're gonna do that tactical flexibility thing. They're going to try to, you know, Shop is someone we know needs his man- minutes managed a little bit. Like you can't just go full 90 match in match out Vite is transitioning into a number eight and you know they might not like every matchup they have there so 
like you, I'm going to say he gets like seven starts. I think it's, we're going to be flirting right at that line. I think Ahmed will be really important, but that there's still going to be some rotation, man. I, I want to say he starts like 10 times and is just bawling, but I just don't, I don't know if that's going to be the reality, but I thought it was an interesting question. Okay. We'll go right into one of the guys I just mentioned, Sergio Cordova been on a bit of a heater recently after a terrible start to the season, Ryan white, Got off to a bit of a rough start as well, but really kicked it into forms. Been scoring lots of goals. Been pretty reliable and consistent. So the question is, Cordova's the DP. You want to get him involved, but you also want to make the playoffs and play well. There's 12 matches left. Does Cordova start six or more times? Is, is it over under six starts the rest of the season? I think this kind of depends on if they play two strikers up front. I can't see Cordova just like supplanting Brian White as the regular starter at striker, but I guess that's possible. I think I'm going to go under on this one, but uh, curious for your thoughts, Alex. I'm hovering even to over. I think he still clears like half the starts. I think that's reasonable. And again, his form, uh, given his form, like you're going to see a lot more of him because he's looked like a lot better as of late. And, you know, Vanny's kind of been pushing him in in spaces and i think the, also the press, minutes. the pressing is still really bad though oh and well, I mean, and, and uh, brian white's of... pressing is like immaculate so i just ah i don't know i that's still like even if he's scoring goals i just i wonder about that especially like without white yeah. alongside with it's if it's galled in cordova up front i just i don't know about that i have i have my doubts yeah i mean well <laughs> Well, we'll see, but it feels like, again, like there's especially with all the road games, the Saturday, Wednesdays, when Cordova wasn't fit, like Betcher was getting starts. And I'm like, I could easily see Cordova be eating those. Like, yeah, I think it's something where he, I'd say even if not like seven, seven starts, like even if not just over, because I still think given his form, given that, you know, this is someone you want to keep, you want to get going by the time playoffs comes around. Maybe a playoffs is super sub, but something where you want for the playoffs, you want your DP striker to be in good form. You don't want to be kind of stapling on the bench. So I could see him earning starts and why not? Like he's been in good form as of late. So it's not like it's something where it's completely undeserved. No, I mean, I think if he, if he gets a bunch of starts and he's scoring a bunch of goals, that's obviously a good problem to have, but that's our first proper disagreement. I'm going under, you're going over. Then we had a bonus for this one, which is he's got two goals currently in MLS play. Uh, Does he get, over under five total this MLS season. It sounds like you might be going uh, over on this one. Yeah, I'd say he gets four over the next 12 games. So yeah. I think maybe a, a, I'd say he gets a brace, not all that will inflate, and then he gets a maybe a goal in two other games. So I'd say he gets over. So despite me going under six starts, I'm also going to go over on this one. I feel like he can just, yeah, he could bag a brace off the bench. Like he's just streaky when it's the right day the right matchup he tends to score so uh yeah i I think he'll still finish with with probably six goals on the season okay we've talked a little bit about this team's potential to to be top four to be top four in the west they're gonna have to win some road matches uh we'll talk a little bit about this with san jose but it's the battle of really bad road teams they've got two wins combined between them on the road this season uh, San Jose does have them by one point in terms of road record, but overall for Vancouver, eight road games left, 
over under three road wins the rest of the season. I've made this one a little bit more demanding because I feel like they, they got to take a step forward on the road. They've, they've shown signs. We talked about with some of the new additions that they could be a better team on the road. Do, do you think they can get, can they get to three road wins? Could they in some world get to four road wins? Again, I'd say it's a, it's a, it's a push just... at, push at best probably. Right. Like, I'd like to think they clear the under just again. I mean, they've only, their last, what was it? They've, they've got two road wins in their last three games in all, all competitions. They've also, geez, they've played a lot of home games as of late. I'm just looking through the schedule. I'm like, my goodness, they've played five, six, seven, eight, nine. They've played nine home games since May 31st and three on the road. Um, so yeah, there's no wonder the road schedule is about to be heavy. And like you mentioned, in, in an ideal world, they might have wanted to flip that. Um, but again, yeah, I'm just looking at their opponents: Chicago away, Toronto away, Colorado away. Those are three pretty putrid teams. Seattle away, I, I, it's hard to see them winning. Like, when's the last time they even go? They they haven't won there in forever. Houston away is such a like mixed bag. They always do like you know, sometimes they struggle in the heat and then sometimes they do well in Texas, like they've done against Dallas. Then there's RSL away again. It's like such a mixed bag. We've seen them lose four. nil. we've seen them win. And then Portland away also a mixed bag. I'd say even just, I think between Chicago, Toronto, Colorado, they'll win maybe two of them, knowing them they'll slip up in one, but then I think they'll make it up elsewhere. And then they'll probably like the Seattle ones, the guaranteed loss. So I'd say three wins. So again, like very fair, you've put, you've put such a good range that even has been reasonable for a lot of them. Okay. So I was doing a little bit of napkin math on this one. So if the white caps win three matches on the road and we're just going to, for these, we're going to kind of throw draws out the window. So they win three matches on the road and they run the table at home. That's seven wins, 21 points, gets them to 52 points at the end of the season, which would have put them fourth in the West last year. And that's with no, no points. That's like losing outright every other match. So I feel like with some draws mixed in there, maybe they miss out on a win. I feel like they're right in that mix, right? Like I, that kind of feels to me like about where they're going to finish. Just around 50 points, two, three road wins, almost run the table at home. That that is the sense I have, and the margins are gonna, you know, how tight matches go is gonna gonna affect where they ultimately end up. What are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's about reasonable. Just looking at these last few games, you got San Jose, and then after that, you got three more home games in your last four games. So I think what we'll probably see is, I mean, yeah, probably win that San Jose game at home in a mathematical sense. And then you pretty much have that seven game road trip. We'll see what they scrape out. I think we could see some draws. We could see some gritty results. And then I think it's going to come down to that homestand. It's going to be something where maybe they're in seventh or eighth by the time that homestand comes around. And then with the push, they can get up to a fourth. Uh, but yeah, I think it's something where it's laid out so funny, just the way it is, or it's like, it's just, home away home away like some you look at some other mls teams it's like home away home away home away no the white caps like home for like three weeks and then you know you got like eight eight games at bc place in two weeks it feels like it feels like you're going there every three days and i think that's the that's got to be the vancouver effect a little bit isn't it right where they've requested less less 
stringent travel. Like if we're going to go out in the road, we're going to take a five hour flight. We're going to make it count. I, I seem to recall like talk hearing from Axel about his chats with the performance staff and stuff like that, that that was a bit of a point of emphasis where they don't want to be no more Houston midweek and then playing at home on the weekend. Like they want to eliminate that type of stuff that, that's happened in the past. Right. And, and not really serve them very well. Yeah. And I mean, I think a problem as well is the climate because the white caps can play games in February and March so that they often get a lot of those front loaded and back loaded when some teams can't like, that's why they got such a, they got three and four to end the year. And then I'm pretty sure, I mean, to start there, they usually got it like, uh, like this year they opened at home. Uh, then they, you know, then they had a good amount of games at home. So I think that's also another reason that we always see, cause I think it's like a tradition at this point that like of the last five games of the year, you're guaranteed to get three to four Whitecaps home games. Like remember last year when they made the late run of the playoffs, it's because they had that stretch of games at home where they won them all. And then they went on the road against Minnesota and kind of lost all that momentum. So that's also another aspect uh, of it, which is kind of hilarious. So, yeah, I, I think that also helps them because if you can just survive at that point and then you have three of your last four at home, that sets it up so much nicer versus including your last game at home. Yes, it's, LAFC, but you know, LAFC is certainly not the same LAFC they were earlier in the year or last year. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's something where it's set up nicely for them to just go on the road, do your business, and then come back home. And then really once if the business is done, you can really have some fun. Okay, two more left here. One we've already kind of touched on, but this one we haven't. This is about Yohei Takaoka, but it's also about the defensive record in general. Takaoka has got 21 starts so far this season, five clean sheets. I think a bunch of those happened in succession when they went on that clean sheet streak. Uh, so really the rest of the time, it's it's been a bit of a struggle keeping clean sheets. Over under three clean sheets from their last 12 matches. Do you, will this team be improved defensively to the point where they're able to hit the over on that one? I don't know. It's really the Atacubi and the Ray effect. Like, cause we've been saying a large, a large issue of the Whitecaps defense has come from wide areas and whatnot. So I'm like, they've shored up the wide area. So I'd like to think that there's a decent improvement they've got, you know, still, they still got like four games at home where you, again, you'd, you'd always expect to get clean sheets there. And again, they play like they play enough bad teams away where you're like, okay, could surely they can scrape out some clean sheets, even if they're nil nil. Uh, that's, I'd say before the signings, I'd say under after the signings, it feels hard to say that they will get less than three, like get two clean sheets across the next 12 games, but also that's kind of been the standard. So again, I mean, my, maybe I'm just being boring and going even with all of them, but Hey, even's got the lowest margin for Eric. So you can go over, you can hope they blast through. If you go under, you can hope again, I'm just kind of seeing like three kind of seems like my, my benchmark. Like, <laughs> I yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. I made this challenging. I'm, I'm actually, I'm gonna go under. I just don't think it's gonna matter. I think they're probably gonna let in one goal in a bunch of matches, but they'll, they'll be able to score enough. And again, I think we're just, we're looking for, we're not looking for elite defensive play out of this Vancouver Whitecaps team. We're just looking for average defensive play. They can, they just need to win some two-one matches, right? Like, especially on the road. Like, are you gonna keep clean sheets on the road? Probably not but just find a way to get those those results across the line and not conceding that second goal, that backbreaker, right? Like, I feel like 
there's been many Whitecaps matches where they've allowed two. And one of them is just kind of a great cross, a headed goal, not much you can do about it. And the other one's a defensive breakdown where you go, ah, oh, that man, that one could have been avoided or Takoka is not quite there. Can't quite get his finger on it. You just go, oh, those are the margins that make the difference. I feel like they can eliminate that, keep it to one goal against, uh, they'll, they'll do well the rest of the season. So that uh, brings us into our final one, something we talked about already. So uh, the over-under is pretty predictable. Over-under fourth in the West. Uh, I'll just come out and say it. This, this one's a push for me. I'm taking them to finish fourth. I feel like that's just, um, as I was talking about, that 51-52 point mark. Um, I think they can overtake San Jose and Austin relatively easily. RSL. It'll be interesting to see how RSL can sustain if they can sustain the rest of the season. But ultimately, I'm going to pick St. Louis, LAFC, Seattle, one, two, three, and then the Whitecaps in fourth. So uh, relatively positive, you know, but fifth or sixth wouldn't be a calamity either. I think you'd still be pretty happy with that at the end of the day. Alex, your thoughts and anything changed over the last couple of weeks? Over the last couple of months, I've been saying well, this should be a fourth place team since February. So I'd say because of that, I can't hit the under. And, but I think it's something where with the new signings, we just don't know what they're going to look like. That's really the thing where I'm like, if these new signings hit and this team plays to its potential, I'm hitting the over on so many of these, right? Like it's like, again, like the road form should go out the window. They should start scoring those goals. They should start defending better, but it's like, as we've seen before, what we know in theory doesn't always work out in practice. So again, I'd probably stick to my guns and say fourth. I think there is a real opportunity for them to go third with how weird the West has been. Cause it's kind of like St. Louis isn't first and it feels like they'll do enough to finish first. Man, man, I'm sorry. I just, I'm looking at the table. Like the fact that the first place team in the West St. Louis 13 wins, eight losses. What a, what a, what a year for the West. Eh? It's just not been, uh, it's not been pretty. Um, and yeah, that's it. Where it's just so wide open. Uh, LFC at 37, RSL 37, Seattle 36, Austin 32, San Jose 32, Vancouver 31. Just six points between seventh and second. And all those teams above, like RSL's le- legit one where I'm like, well, what's the money on RSL? For, They've made for some- example, though, you look at RSL, 24 matches played, 37 points. Vancouver, 22 matches played, 31 points. So Vancouver gets maximum out of those two matches. They're sitting third in the West. It, it is exactly. that close. It is that close. And uh, again, I'm just looking at the teams and I'm like, okay, St. Louis, they've, they've been good. They've, they've, you know, I mean, we've seen it. They're also wildly inconsistent, right? It's an expansion team. It's also something where, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drag into the, oh, they've been lucky, but certainly it's been one where, you know, they've kind of been riding a bit of their fortune and that's, you know, the nature. I mean, we saw Austin last year do that. So I think St. Louis, I'm not like completely sold on them hundred percent LAFC. I would have been sold, but they've been just, you know, it feels like a calamity at the back and uh, they've kind of loosened up offense. Like they've struggled offensively as of late too. Right. I look at RSL. RSL is the one I'm looking at. I'm like, actually, I'm kind of sold because they were already a decent team. And then they signed Chicho Rango. They signed a bunch of other like underrated players and like look like they'll be a proper team. Diego Luna's balling out. Seattle, I'm like not sold on just because we've seen how much they've struggled. They can't score uh, after that early outburst. Defensively, they've been great. But like how far can you get if you can't score? 
Austin, I'm definitely not sold on because they'll look great all of a sudden, but then they'll lose to Violet in the Champions League or they'll lose to the two worst teams in Mexico in their League's Cup group. Well, you know, like they lost to, what was it, Mazatlan? And <laughs> I don't even know what the other team was. I, or I, I do. Juarez. I forget what team it was. Yeah, you know, Juarez. But uh, like you really don't know what to expect from Austin. San Jose is another one I'm sold on. They've got a good coach and they've made some good moves. So I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at every team in front of you if you're the Whitecaps. Like, this isn't a year where, say it's last year, it felt like you looked at LA, Seattle, all these teams like, oh, yeah, that's that's good. Like, that's, you know, every team pretty much has flaws. Um, so, no, yeah, I'd say a, a third a third is, is is realistic, and they should push for that, and we'll, we'll see if they can get the heck even second by the with how tight it is. And you play all these teams in front of you, so I make the most of those opportunities, I guess, is what I'd say. But so maybe you know what? For for fun, I'll go over. Let's see. Let's I'll, let's aim for that third spot. I've I've been all in on the fourth spot since February. They've only improved their team since then. May as well double in and go for that third spot. Let's see how that ages. All right, I like the positivity. That was over unders. I would say, you know, when we put this on social stuff like that, if you have some thoughts, some predictions for these over unders throw them in the comments. Uh, let us know how you're feeling about these. Because, uh, yeah, I think a lot of these could go either way. It could make or break where the Whitecaps finish um, the, the rest of this MLS season. So let us know. That brings us, you just mentioned San Jose. We'll kind of speed run through the San Jose Earthquakes here. As I mentioned off the top, sitting sixth in the West at the moment, just one point above the Whitecaps, even in terms of matches played. We can talk about League's Cup just briefly. They they had a disappointing campaign, ultimately losing to Timbers, losing to Tigris. So uh, Tigris eliminating both these teams from League's Cup effectively. Uh, but as you mentioned, Alex, they're you know under Luchi Gonzalez. I think there's been some real positives. This isn't uh, high variance, lose every match, three to two. San Jose Earthquakes teams that we've been used to. They have introduce some structure, some rigidity defensively that we, we haven't seen before. So I think that's positive. I mean, they've added a couple, a couple Brazilians at the back um, in goal and Daniel, and then um, Rodriguez, the, the 25 year old center back like Jean-Pierre from Gremio. Uh, he's come in and done a really nice job. Um, so they've, they've just made some nice, subtle improvements there. And I feel like they're trending positively defensively. The thing for me, Alex, is they've got two players doing all the attacking work. Uh, Christian Espinoza is on an absolute heater. Yeah, he's padding his stats a little bit with penalties. But nonetheless, he's got 11 goals, five assists this season, which is uh, nothing to scoff at. And then Jeremy Abobasi, seven goals. Uh, a true Alex Ovechkin special, seven goals, no assists. Um, but those two have been doing all the attacking work. They're still under 30 goals for. And uh, yeah, I think the stat is an MLS play. No one has more than four goals plus assists other than outside of those two players. So it has been really lean. It's been Obobese and Espinosa just bawling out and everyone else kind of in their wake. Um, now they made some, like the Whitecaps, they made some additions, Matthew Hobby from, uh, Middlesbrough, the U S international forward. So that could be interesting. And then a player that 
many Canadians are familiar with in Io Akinola as well. So uh, striking reinforcements incoming. What are they able to do with those guys? How will Lucci try to add them, create some more offense uh, for this squad? I, th- I think it'll be interesting. Alex, I mean, what, what has stood out to you from San Jose? It sounds like, I mean, we like Lucci Gonzalez. I feel like that's, that's very much clear from anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time. But what do you think about the ins and outs of the squad and, and those additions they've made o- over the course of this break? Yeah, I mean, I like the signings first and foremost. I think at Canola, it's one where it's a low-risk punt. It's a loan. Uh, you know, it, it, we've seen uh, it's something where he's he, he struggled for fitness. He struggled for consistency. At that point, that's a good pro- like it's a good punt. And like, why not, right? Like, you have nothing to lose. Hoppy is one where I like where it's just like he's been – he was fun to watch the Gold Cup in 21. He's just got a bit of a disturber about him. He's something different in the attack. They need that. Um, and I think it's something where he's kind of been, uh, it was one of the tweeners where he went to Europe and, just, you know, kind of struggled to stick. But I think it's something where maybe he comes back to MLS and get the confidence, especially playing with a guy like a Cade Cowell who feels like he's been pushing for a move all summer, right? Like you see the Bologna links for Cowell. Uh, so we'll see if Cowell's still around and Hoppy learning from that. Uh, working with Cowell, even though, of course, Cowell is actually younger than Hoppy. Uh, they, they could work together nicely. Because I think that'll, that'll be key. They'll need those offensive pushes. And, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see because you, you look at the San Jose team, 32 points. Um, they've been a bit loose defensively, funnily enough. Uh, they're expected goals. They have, they average, or they have about 30 on the year, but they yeah, have the, 34 the X, against. The XG models do not like San Jose, especially defensively. It, it seems like from that metric, at least, they've been a little bit lucky. But I, I think they're they're on an upward trend. I'd say it's the worst XG against in the West, but I'm diving into it now. A big reason for that is because on the road, they allow, they've allowed 23 XG against in 11 games, which is by far the worst in the West. Um, it's funny. Yeah, like like really, <laughs> really competitive with the white caps in terms of like just genuinely really bad road team. Well, it's funny though. And I'm looking in the West. You want, you want to know something funny? I mean, it's also partly because they've played less games. What the white caps have actually allowed the least XG on the road. Their issue is that they can't score on the road or they can't generate or score on the road. Uh, and then also like defensively, they're not great either. Like, it's just no one's great on the road and, and uh, defensively. That's why, plus they've played like two less games than the nearest team. But still, that's kind of something where it's like they're average to mid on the on defensively on the road and then they just can't score. So that's why you see the Whitecaps lose a lot of like 2-1 games, 3-1 games on the Again, road. They just, three... they just need to be average instead of mediocre defensively. I can't stress what a big difference that would be. And also figure out how to score on the road. Cause that's actually kind of hilarious that they've got the lowest XG on the road. Of course, again, they've played two less games. So like, um, so they would on per game basis, they would pass San Jose. They would pass FC Dallas. They'd pass Houston. I think they would probably pass Portland, but they'd still be middling on the road. Um, but yeah, San Jose is absolutely disastrous. All that to say on the road defensively. And that's really what's hurt them. Like they've been, Decent enough attacking-wise, home and away. They've been, you know, pretty good defensively at home, but just on the road, they're just an absolute tire fire. 
Um, so that, yeah, that's something they'll, they'll look to clean up, but that's good news for the white caps. Cause the white caps are good at home. San Jose can't defend away. Maybe this can be the white, a good chance for the white caps to build some momentum, maybe get a couple goals, get the new signings integrated. Cause then you head out on the road string and any sort of, I mean, if you lose at home, given how this, the, the white caps have been on the road, that would really set up the road trip in a bad place. It would be must win. It would be all these things, but Hey, if you pick up a, three nil four one kind of win at home not saying you should but based on the numbers that's not unrealistic and then all of a sudden that that changes the momentum of the white caps looming road string so all right well to wrap up the the san jose port preview portion of the show we want to do predictions i mean i think it's fair to say we're probably both going with white caps victories the way we were talking about it i was tempted to go three one four one but because New players, it, it always takes a little bit of time coming back from the break. I'm just going to go classic 2-1 Vancouver Whitecaps victory. I, d- I do think this one will be tight, but ultimately uh, Vancouver's good at home. They're probably, all things considered, a better team. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with the 2-1 Whitecaps victory. Yeah, I'd probably say like 3-1. Like, again, you're home, get the fans going, and get the road trip started on the right regard but look we'll we'll see we'll see this is the beginning of a, a big moment for the white caps and of course if you're going through a, a big moment you got to start off with the bang and we'll see if they uh they have that underneath them all right well that's that's about enough vancouver white caps chat uh we'll be back obviously to uh to dive into san jose once that has gone down but uh not the only football happening in the province over the last couple of weeks Alex, you were at the League One BC finals. I, I saw you on the broadcast chilling out pitch side, uh, which is good to see. A, a massive day for the Vancouver Whitecaps, not the first teams, but their academy teams running the table. Uh, as we kind of talked about in the preview, would have been nice to see a unity, uh, to see a Victoria Highlanders lift a trophy that that would have been really cool, but uh, great shout out to, you know, the Vancouver Whitecaps Academy system for being part of these leagues uh, and providing, providing a high level of competition for these independent teams as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just kick it to you. You were there in person. So uh, what was something, things that stood out to you from just that the league one BC final championship experience at BC place? Yeah, first of all, it's funny that you said we're we're done talking about the white caps, well, but uh, no, the we'll white se- caps separate they... the first team from the from the academy ranks at least a little bit. Yeah, no, the the, the first team's been doing all right, but the, the kids have been more than all right, and I mean they showed it at league at the league one BC finals. I mean, first and foremost, it was pretty cool just to be playing in BC place. I mean, something where yeah, it might have seemed a bit cavernous, but I think it's a cool experience. You could probably see what it meant to the players especially those on the white caps. Um, like it was pretty cool. Like we asked I uh, like uh Nick White after the game, White Caps defender. Um you know, former Rover. Uh funnily enough, he won the title last year with the Rovers and his brother plays for Vancouver FC. And yeah, he's a funny guy. Nick uh, was saying he look, he grew up watching the White Caps. He still goes to the White Caps games. 
Uh, he was saying he was joking about how he has his gold jersey that he wears all the time to, to white caps games. And so he said for, yeah, like when he found out the game was at BC place, it's like, I want to play there. I want to, you know, win a trophy there. And I think that was a cool part of the occasion where it's like, yeah, even if it was maybe 500 fans or so, it was a thousand fans. It was nice just to have, I think it was closer to 500, but it was nice to, to have that experience of playing in a stadium like that, walking out, having the trophy, just being in the the stadium right it's something where it's like a bit of like a it's like a Wembley moment of sorts where you know whether or not you like BC Place as a stadium we can talk about the turf you can talk about the stadium it's still something that if you've grown up here it's a special stadium like you've seen the the pictures in the 70s when it used to fill out and you everyone's probably had a game they remember like for me it was either Canada Mexico in 2015 um, right or the any of the the World Cup games in 2015 or even the playoffs it was all 2015 because I was gonna say the Portland Whitecaps playoff game in 2015. Uh, so that was a big part of it and then just yeah in each game the women's game first foremost entertaining clash unity was no joke they came uh they got the early lead but this white caps team they're so young yet so resilient they don't they don't get phased you go down in a final same thing happened last year and they came back so they, they pulled out a similar trick just dominated the game as soon as they went down took over um it was on the day it was kaylee hunter claimed a brace scored the equalizer and the insurance goal and then joy kim Wimway put away uh, a great finish for the what stood as the winner. And it was just an overall, like all white caps after unity scored. And I think that just shows why this young team's special. And um, then uh, on the men's side, it was also an inter- interesting game because it was, it felt like the Highlanders were overwhelming favorites. It kind of ran the table in, in the league versus what the white caps did where the white caps kind of found form late, but the late form ended up helping. I mean, the Highlanders scored first, Michael Hammond, uh, League MVP, golden boot winner, not surprising to see him score. And you thought it was game over. I mean, the Highlanders, a reason why they did so well was they get one or one nil leads, two one leads. They do not give up one nil or two one leads. And but then they did. The Whitecaps managed to pull one back, went to penalties. Very entertaining penalty shootout, by the way. I got to stand right behind the goal. And the amount of chirping between all the players and the goalies was remarkable. You just hear everything so clearly down there. Um uh, Whitecaps goalie Cohen Park was 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 throwing out quite the uh, uh the verbiage N- nothing actually pretty like pretty respectful chirping like I'm not gonna say he was out here you know dropping the, the verb yeah you know, anything worth getting cleaned out with the mouth of soap but he's just sitting there screaming like you're nervous you're nervous you're not ready you can't handle this and it was just like hilarious because. One guy missed, and you could just see in his head, he's like, oh, shoot, I played right into it. And then, you know, his park was celebrating. But then there's one where the Highlanders guy scored, and he, like, looks back at him and does the, like, hand, like, you know, stop talking symbol. And there's some other good chirps between them all. And in the end, the Whitecaps uh, prevailed. It was a great. I think Luke Norman ended up getting the uh, winning penalty. And, uh, yeah, capped off pretty successful day. And I think it was cool because the Whitecaps won the Juan de Fuca plate the best combined men's and women's record. Again, I think that's such a great initiative that they've decided to do that. So the fact that they won that showing that, you know, their men's and women's sides were uh, the, the commitment they have to those programs in the regular season. And then that they won both trophies to complete a kind of trouble. I think that was a pretty special trouble. And it was one where it was well-deserved for, for both teams because uh, so many fascinating players have put in a shift and uh, were rewarded for it at the end of the year. Well, the gaunt- the gauntlet has been laid down now. Like that's other programs have to strive to be able to complete that same trouble, right? And I think that's something that you've got the men's and women's teams. They can chase their own 
goals, but then as like an organization, you have something that you can really push for as well, which I think is cool. Um, well, I'm just going to kick it right back to you because we also since then have had the the League One interprovincial finals, and and that's been in BC, correct? And I think you've been a part of that, doing some some commentary and providing coverage. So why don't you just uh, yeah let let the folks know what's been going on there if if they're not aware, or just kind of uh, your in, your insights from that event as well. Yeah, it's cool. And it's something I'd love to see grown, expanded on both the women's and men's side. But it's basically like a, the way the way I feel, it feels like a Memorial Cup. It's kind of like the three League One Canada winners, like because right now it's only technically Ontario, BC and Quebec are the official leagues. Uh, I'd love to see this expanded with Alberta already doing the exhibition series this year. I know they're looking at Prairies. League One Atlantic is launching. But yeah, so it's kind of like a Memorial Cup, three winners plus a host. Last year was held for the first time. It was held in Quebec. Blainville uh, made it as winners. Laval as hosts from Quebec. And then uh, the other two teams were uh, Varsity as regular season champions, uh, because the Whitecaps had to pull out no matter what uh, due to uh, Canada Games commitments. Ditto in Ontario where NDC won uh, the Whitecaps equivalent, but weren't able to make it. So they sent Alliance. That was last year. Blainville beat Laval in the final. Alliance finished third. This year, uh, it was interesting as it was Whitecaps representing as league winners. Unity as the the finalists from the you know the they made the League One BC final. It was Alliance again who beat NDC in the final. Very a uh, huge result for them to go uh, return to this term. The only returning team, and then lastly was PEF Quebec, which is like the NDC in Quebec, recently taken over by CF Montreal. Fascinating program. Um, so yeah, it was like Memorial Cup style, two semifinals through the draw. Of course, the BC teams couldn't play each other, so it was PEF versus Unity in the first game. Uh, I went to that one phenomenal game, by the way, PF won six, four, just goals galore back and forth. Uh, the PF team is very young, like the white caps and they were no joke. They played well, but so did unity. And then in the second semifinal was Alliance white caps as expected white caps won, but Alliance put a heck of a fight. The white caps only won two to one. And that's just the fact that they held the white caps to two goals was impressive. And that showed in the final because on the finals day, Alliance, our unity ended up claiming third place, which was a nice result for the, the Langley based club who recently got new owners, which is a good story, but uh, it was white caps versus PEF, AKA CF Montreal was wondering, going to see how those two teams did, would do. And in the end, it was all white caps. They ended up winning a four nil. It was a dominant thorough deserved victory. They were just the better team uh, from start to finish. And, uh, yeah, they did. They deserved uh, the the win they got in the end, but it was overall just a great weekend of women's soccer, and especially interesting. So these teams were so young. Even Unity had some 16, 17, 18 year olds playing. PEF and Whitecaps certainly did. So you also kind of got a glimpse of the future, which was uh, an interesting result. Result too. Yeah, very cool to see. I, I like those those kind of tournaments oh, actually, where you, where you bring it. all the teams together and, uh, you know, Memorial cup style, like, man, the more, the more of those events you can have in, in football, I think the better, especially at like the developmental levels. And I'll just hop in and say five, no win for the white caps. I, f- I forgot a goal. So I do want to get that correct. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, man, banner, banner week for, uh, Banner couple of weeks for the Vancouver Whitecaps from a developmental perspective. And uh, 
great to see them, you know, setting a standard for um, those other programs to, to push towards as well. All right. Final Canadian soccer note of the show. And then we'll wrap things up the Canadian premier league, Vancouver FC, man, Alex, I thought that um, with the addition of Diaz, some of the guys they've been able to bring in, I thought that they might still be losing matches, but they'd be scoring some goals. And then they've gone scoreless in their last three. They just haven't been able to build any momentum. I mean, we'll start with Vancouver FC. Uh, what's going on there? Why can't they, why haven't these additions been able to create the kind of spark they, they were hoping for? Yeah, I guess it's something where sometimes in the new signings, I mean, it helps. They've been actually playing really well for the most part. It was really up until their most recent game against Halifax, where it was the first real struggle game. But it's just, first of all, the form, all the other teams around them, uh, everyone's kind of been rounding in the form, and it's been why there's been such an entertaining top six race uh, at the moment, even top seven with Valor resurrecting their season out of nowhere as of late. Um, so it's just for Vancouver, they kind of caught everyone at the wrong time, and it's just talent also sometimes hasn't you know it, it takes time to gel and figure out who who works best with best with who we've kind of seen combinations haven't always been right like at, at up front we've been seeing kind of diaz lead the line and hundal play on the wing where i'm like personally i'd probably put hundal leading the line and have diaz kind of play as a 10 almost um little things like that but that's also part of figuring out like you get all these new players you don't get a preseason to experiment play players in different positions and i think we've kind of seen that so it's one where it's surprising that they haven't done better and i think the performances of if from the eye test suggest that they've been better uh it's just one of those where the results aren't coming and that's just partly due to chemistry and that's partly credit to the teams that around them have been playing very well and Again, that's why this uh, this race right now has been so fascinating. And then looking over at the island, uh, Pacific went on a bit of a tough stretch there. They were able to rebound with a big win, but then they drop a match against Atletico Ottawa. So it's kind of been up and down. They're still perched atop the CPL standings. But Alex, like we were talking about four or five matches into the CPL season, parody at the top of the table is really the name of the game uh pretty much you know everyone outside of valor and vancouver fc in the mix at this point so i i think it's going to be interesting down the stretch i mean is pacific ultimately still still have to be front runners right yeah, it's, it's it's tough to say. And I'd even, like you'd say, Valor's out of the mix. I think their win against Calvary saved their season because they play Ottawa this week, they win. That's a, that's a three-point gap. Things with them can York, change who obviously they very quickly. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they're five points behind Ottawa and then they have a full round left. So I think really anyone except Vancouver is in the mix, unfortunately, for Vancouver. Um, but yeah, I think Pacific, I think they're still the favorites. And it's funny because... Like they, they just really what's hurt them is they can't win at home this year. It's hilarious. Like they've been utterly dominant on the road. Like they're averaging over two points a game on the road per this year, but then they've been pedestrian at home, which is funny because it's usually been the opposite. And uh, part of that has been, you know, in the past, they've always really weaponized the small field well. Like remember that. Um, remember that game against the Whitecaps where it was just they were dominating. They were winning all these 50-50s. And I think teams have kind of realized that with the smaller pitch, this specific team is a lot more ball dominant than they ever were. Because even under Pamaduka, they were kind of a hybrid where, yeah, they were good on the ball, but they were also kind of pragmatic. 
And that's kind of how they beat Forge in that final in 2021. But now this team loves to hold on the ball. And why not? They have technicians. The only problem is the they play Starlight so narrow that I think teams are starting to realize if you come and just sit behind the ball, you can kind of frustrate Pacific. So it's been funny. What, what it meant is Pacific goes on in the road and then they're playing like a way to Forge on a wide field, a way to Valor on a wide field playing uh, you know way to Ottawa and they're dominating because they're like oh yes we can finally play with the ball and stretch teams out and, and play our way of, of footy so they've been dominant on the road and that's good news for them because like I think they have something weird where like along their last nine games like five or six of them are uh are, are on the road uh so yeah I think because of that they're probably still favorites between it's for me it's between them and Calvary I think Forge has just been too inconsistent I think I think Ottawa will certainly make a push, um, but from what we've seen, Pacific just has has the edge. Actually, the, the real team. I'm if I'm putting money on a dark horse, it's Halifax. Like they're just ticking. They they got the right sign-ins. Joao Morelli's looking like Joao Morelli. Like they picked up the Neil Henry. Aiden Daniels is balling out. Dan Nimick looks like he could be the best win defender of the year, in my opinion, at this stage. So I'd watch out for Halifax, but I think if we're looking at pay favorites, it still has to be Pacific. They're just the deeper team. Even when they lose, it feels like they play well. Uh, it's really just going to be a, a matter of, can they start winning some games at home again and, and keep their own dominance? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, no, kind of like we were talking about in the MLS Western Conference, no perfect teams in the CPL. Like each team has their vulnerabilities, their flaws, their question marks, which I think makes it so interesting, right? And uh, you know, I like that for my Wanderers, just kind of slowly building momentum. They had all those draws early in the season. Morelli back. I still think the goalkeeping's a bit iffy, um, but you know, hopefully they're they're able to kind of. Daniil can maybe provide some solidarity at the back there and, and help them help build on uh, some good defensive options already. So uh, looking forward to that, Alex, uh, any final thoughts here? I mean, I think that was pretty comprehensive. We, we kind of got you back up to speed on MLS getting ready for the stretch run, a little bit of San Jose preview, uh, some local grassroots and, and Canadian Premier League football on the back end. Uh, yeah. Final thoughts here before we sign off. Oh, look, um, well, League One BC Canada season's over, so just shout out to that. It was a fun year, and looking forward to next year. But CPL Rage is on. Big one this week, if you make it this far. It's just another installment of the Salish Sea Derby between Vancouver FC and Pacific uh, at uh, Willoughby Community Park in Langley, Saturday 1 p.m. So if you're on the island, if you're in the lower mainland, it's a great time, Saturday afternoon, much needed I think the first kickoff was like four on a Saturday on the island, which was not bad. But then the second one was Friday night, which was a nightmare for Pacific fans. So I know this one's a great time. Pacific's even setting up shuttles for fans. Like it's, I feel like hopefully they can get some good numbers for this Ho- one. And hopefully, hopefully there's no game. seven sailing delays at BC Ferries. If we could avoid that, that would be great. <laughs> don't don't get me started on that, but. Yeah, I just hope it'll be a good crowd, and hopefully Vancouver gives a good game. So it's something where, look, yeah, they're kind of out of the race, but look, they're still mathematically alive. They haven't gotten points off Pacific yet. Look, it's something where if you're Vancouver and you still finish last at the end of the year, how sweet is it if Pacific finishes second in the table? They miss out on a trophy and Champions Cup and a home playoff game, like in the first round, by 
two points, right? Like this is a moment where like, especially in a Derby, like Derby's, you kind of forget your form. You forget where you are in the table. Uh, so I, I hope this is a good game. Vancouver certainly been up for it with all the chirping they've been doing. So we'll see what, uh, if, if that carries over the field. So just as, as a shout out, I'll be there for that one. I'm working that one for camppl.ca. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping they give me more, no shortage of storylines to dive into, but if you're around, uh, tickets should be cheap if you can get out to Langley. And I, I think there'll be a good Pacific contingent. So there was a good Pacific contingent on the Friday night, like fair play, right? It was like early June, late May, Friday night and still got like a hundred Pacific fans. I'm wondering uh, what that number could look like this time with the, with the 1 PM kick. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It should be good. Uh, I hopefully, yeah, Vancouver, that would be like a massive culture booster, right? If they could just play spoiler, make things difficult for Pacific. Just have someone breathing down their neck the rest of the season. I, I think that would be fantastic. And, and yeah, hopefully it's a good crowd. We've seen, we've seen good showings for the, the Salish Sea Derby. Uh, maybe Vancouver struggling from time to time a little bit, otherwise attendance, but I feel like people do show up for these big matches. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can find us. And the third sub.ca and uh yeah and the third sub the 3rd sub on twitter as well you know all our social channels uh check out the website for san jose earthquakes preview content uh all our regular stuff cpl coverage as well so uh i'll kick it over to alex here and uh thanks everyone for listening as always yeah i mean uh first foremost thanks uh to all for for listening as uh, as always I uh, appreciate you guys uh that the, the listener it make makes this uh very much enjoyable. So shout out to y'all. Hope you're having a good summer. Uh in, enjoying all the footy, enjoying all the the sun, etc. wherever you may be. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. That sounds like some sort of <laughs> like that sounds that sounds like some sort of cult gathering. Uh, as my alarm goes off fittingly <laughs> like literally the, the alarm bells are going off by how much of a cult that place sounds like so you can find me on twitter at alex gungaruzic at threads at uh agr on the case i haven't really touched threads as of late but uh all i'm saying is mark zuckerberg the it's, ball's it, in your court on there. that one just because it's there hundreds I was, I was looking i saw i clicked on someone's ig the other day and now like there's so many signups because you know you get your unique number from when you signed up I'm I'm 1.5 million shout out. I was one of the early ones, but like I saw people where it's like now there's over 100 million. So you just you don't even get a number after 100 million. You just get more than 100 million. So like, there's over 100 million people on your platform. Please add a timeline. Please add search function. Please add all that stuff. And I'm sure people will flock. But if not, we're we're on the we're on the chaotic jungle that is X or Twitter. Sorry, right now, uh, where it's just it's blue ticks. It's it's a chaotic for you page. It's you know community notes slapping the heck out of people it's it's been a wild time but uh you can find me (laughs) you can find me in the midst of those wild that wildness or on ig at aj on the case uh so yeah that's chaotic outro but hopefully you guys enjoyed the show we'll be back soon with certainly more white caps they're not going away as well as more cpl and hey league one bc in canada may be over but hopefully we can see some of those players now make the jump up but uh Yes, we'll see you all very soon.